HRV is, is not the silver bullet, but it's another tool in the toolbox that you can use to monitor how your training is going, and it can really help with that, with the consistency side. That Triathlon Show, episode 42. Hello everybody, welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host Michael, and today's episode is an interview on heart rate variability, or HRV, for triathletes and endurance athletes, with one of the greatest experts on the topic in the world today, Dan Plus, PhD, coach of elite athletes, and he has many more merits to his name, and we'll go into that on the interview in a minute. We talk about things like how HRV can help you decide when to do high-intensity workouts and when to hold back instead, and why that may be better than just sticking to a rigid program, having that adaptability based on HRV. We also discuss how to use your HRV baseline as a tool to help determine if your training load in a block of training is appropriate or if it's too large or or even too small. And we go into things like the tools, apps and stuff and other resources that are getting really good these days that you can use and that the plus as he goes by recommend when you get going using HRV in your triathlon training. So let's not waste any more time. Just enjoy the interview. All right. So today's guest on that triathlon show is Dan Plus, who is a PhD and coach of several elite athletes in triathlon as well as in cycling. So Dan, welcome to the show first and foremost. And can you give us a quick intro to yourself in addition to what I already mentioned? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I think you encapsulated it quite well. I am a PhD in specifically looking at heart rate variability. I'm um, a member of the coaching company called Plus and Prof. And we um, yeah, coach some professional triathletes, um, Jan Van Berkel, um, Tim Van Berkel, Caroline Stephan, and I'm also a research fellow at Auckland University of Technology, and so I supervise um, several master's students and a few PhD students there looking at various aspects of um, sports performance. Yeah, and as you said, your own PhD you did in heart rate variability, HRV. When was that, and how did you get into that subject? Um, When did I finish that now? I finished that about four years ago, so it took me three and a half years to complete and um and i guess it was more i got in involved because um well i was i was in my i was my my, my colleague professor paul lawson who's the who's the prof from the plus and prof he um we met in singapore and he was really quite into this area at the time and he was also collaborating with another guy called martin bichette um, martin now works at paris saint-germain football club but he's also massively involved in the area of heart rate variability and um, and we thought it would be a really good paper or, or a good subject to actually learn about, in especially in the practical setting, because we were involved in a lot of Olympic sport at the time. Um, so so yeah, so we also at the time we were looking at using heart variability to guide training. So there was a paper that was just brought out by a Finnish group, and what it showed was that if you guide your training 
based on your morning resting heart rate variability. So if your heart rate said one thing in the morning, you would decide whether you would do low intensity or high intensity training. It was actually more beneficial than um, than than just training on a on a on a traditional program. Yeah, that's uh, super fascinating. And before diving deeper into that, let's just define HRV for those listeners that are not familiar with it. What is it really? Um, yeah, so I guess that's a bit of a key question. So HRV, obviously, it means heart rate variability. So what we're actually looking at when we look at heart rate variability is the gap between each heartbeat. So even if like we're, we're here right now, we, you know, my heart rate might be 60 beats per minute. That doesn't necessarily mean that the gap between each heartbeat is one second. It's actually varying all the time. So we actually measure HRV in milliseconds. So that might go from 800 milliseconds to 1,000 milliseconds, and the next one might be 1,100 milliseconds. So there's actually a variation between beats, generally when we're in a rested state. But, um, and the reason we're interested in this is because it's actually linked to your autonomic nervous system. So what? So people may have heard of parasympathetic and sympathetic branches of the autonomic nervous system. So um, the sympathetic branch is kind of your fight or flight side, which is like when you're more stressed and when you're, particularly during exercise, you're in more of a sympathetic state. Whereas the other side is parasympathetic, so often called rest and digest, um, which is the side that's more relaxation and and measure it and um, ease of um, relaxation and just general when you're generally in a recovered state. But the the key is and what we're interested in that high variability can actually measure this. So when we have more more variation between beats. It means that we're in more of a parasympathetic or more of a relaxed, recovered state. Um, If there's less variation between beats, it means that we're in more of a sympathetic and more of a stressed state. And obviously, when you're doing exercise, you all know if your heart rate's up at 100 and you know, in the 150s or 160s, there's actually quite, there's very steady and there's not really much difference in the gap between each heartbeat. Mm, perfect explanation and and that's something that i think uh, people are confused by because they when you measure your morning heart rate for example it's generally taking that a low resting heart rate is uh, pretty good for endurance athletes but with hrv it's the other way around because you don't you measure the variability and you want that to be higher so it's good to get that clarified so let's now move on to the implications that you alluded to earlier about how you can you can basically direct your training based on it so what what all sorts of implications go into hrv yeah so i mean that was um there's been a couple of studies that have looked at that now um most of them have shown positive results what it suggests is that when you wake up in the morning you take your resting heart rate variability and if it was low so if the variation between the beats was low it would be suggested that you're in more of a stress stress sympathetic state and you're maybe not recovered as well from the training and as a result, you would actually decide to do more of a low-intensity session on that day. Whereas conversely, if you woke up in the morning and your HRV was normal or it was high, you would actually decide to do high-intensity training on, on that day. Um, so that was a, the promise of a book. From, from a lot of our research, we just found that in actually like real practical application of doing that within an elite group, it's actually harder than it seems and and the the general day-to-day variation of heart variability is very varied anyway. So we kind of we we moved away a little bit from looking at heart rate variability and that kind of acute acute response and looked at it more from more of a chronic chronic standpoint alongside of a subjective metrics to support support what we were looking at. Okay, so talk a little bit more about that and the difference between the the acute 
way of looking at it and and the chronic side of looking at it what did you do more specifically and what are you doing now yeah. so i mean when we say acute it's basically what you know making a judgment call and what to do with your training based on that acute response of what your heart variability is saying on that day that very split second in the morning so what we did is we kind of we kind of showed that those acute values can be just too too varied and not really mean much but when we actually brought them into more of a rolling average whether that might be over seven days or a 10-day period or even just a weekly average we could actually get more it'd actually be a lot more stable and we'd get a lot more um, certainty in the decisions that we were making based off that so so we devised ways where we would look at you know we'd look at baseline measures for that individual we'd, and we'd establish ways to measure those that, that baseline and then we'd look at how it would well, those rolling averages would respond over a training block so yeah well we i mean and i worked it with um and i was fortunate enough that i had some olympic rowers i was measuring with at the time and we had four olympic gold medals during the period of when they were actually measuring the high variability and and this has been shown time and time again in a number of athletes that I monitor. So, and what basically when you're doing that type of endurance polarized training um, and having that that, pol- that endurance type polarized training, there's a natural response that you're expected to see when you're actually adapting and you're really coping with that training that you're undergoing. And is that uh, what is that response? Would you see it in the baseline? Yeah. So you'd see basically you you would you would see uh, increase in that. An increasing trend. So the, if you look at the rolling the rolling average over a seven day period, and you're doing a good block of training, and you're actually making some good adaptations to that training, you would really see it increase and go above the the, the kind of your threshold zones for your normal baseline. But then when you actually taper and you and you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're going to perform well at that time. It just means that you're coping with the training and you're adapting. There's a response or there's an adaptation to the training that you're currently undergoing but if you actually were to compete at that time you would probably be a little bit tired and you probably wouldn't go that well because you know fitness right race performance is fitness versus freshness right you can be quite fit but you also have to be fresh so what we found is that when you actually tapered the the hrv would that's then actually come back down to baseline but what you want to see is that hump when it comes up and then back down for the optimal time before competition Ah, oh, that's really interesting. Cool, cool stuff. So let's talk about how we measure it because we skipped over that so far, and I'm sure that's something that the listeners want to know: is this just something that you can do in an Olympic training center, or is this available to everyday athletes? Yeah, like HRV in the time that I've been working with it, it's really, it's really come a long way. And when I first started reading in the area, it was all on like ECG, and it was kind of like you had to lie down and then stand up, and it was quite, um, quite a long procedure. But we've really made some good expansions in the way that we can measure HRV now. And you and there's new applications. So there's lots of different iPhone and smartphone applications that will measure HRV for you. Um, and you don't even need a heart rate monitor chest strap. So we kind of went from ECG to heart rate monitor chest strap. And now we're at the position where we can actually just measure HRV through um, PPG technology, which is using the camera on the back of a phone. To measure to measure your HRV, and um, we published a paper about three months ago that validated um, an app called HRV for Training that uses that PPG technology, and we validated it against um, ECG and also against Polar, and they were all very very close and you know, reasonable in terms of the the measurement of measuring HRV. So, so yeah, it's, can, anyone can download an app. There's also Elite HRV, which is another one that 
is a really good really good app and you can download these and do it yourself on a on a daily basis yeah and i, I use hrv for training myself uh, incidentally i started around three months ago with my current hrv measurement before that i had been using as you said a, a heart rate strap but i just stopped it because it wasn't convenient to do that in the morning or i didn't bother doing it anymore but yeah, now exactly. with with hrv for training i'm i'm on a three month streak so it's perfect yeah. yeah it's really good and especially like you know unless you have a you know unless you have a separate strap no one wants a stinky sweaty heart rate strap next to the bedside ready to put on first thing in the morning no no wife or partner is it gonna be is gonna be appreciate <laughs> yeah yeah and also a third app that i think that we should mention that i i think is is pretty big in this space is iFleet. do you know anything about that app specifically that's for iphone i believe i think i, I think it's uh i personally have not used that very much now okay and I, I, I personally i've found that the elite hrv and hrv for training to be really good so okay yeah well we'll have links to all of that in the show notes the important point being that there are a lot of options and as you said the measurement with the camera on the back of your phone is uh, really great you do that in just one minute in the morning and and with the hrv for training at least you then answer some question about your fatigue muscle soreness and uh mental fatigue and and all those sorts of things it's it's also really easy you just drag and drop a slider to to indicate your current level and then you can as you as you progress over time you can start to see correlations if there are correlations between different factors and for me at least it's mostly sleep that seems to be affecting my hrv but uh, one thing that i about the baselines going back to that because that's one thing that I, I've found just intuitively might be a limitation in the HRV for training app that I've seen actually over the, these three months, my baseline slightly decreasing. And I don't think it's because of training stress, because I'm not at my highest training stress right now, but more so life stress in general. But it really only looks at the seven day, the rolling seven day average when it tells me its advice. And I'm actually not using its advice yet. I'm just collecting data and uh, out of interest and I will see how what i can infer from it later but uh, but yeah that's decre- slightly decreasing baseline it's something that it doesn't take into account since it's just looking at the seven day window so compared to my seven day average many of my measurements are are just fine but when i look at the entire baseline it's uh, it's decreasing slightly from when i started so how is, is that something that you should be taking into account so just say that what do you mean yeah so sorry um, I when I started, let's say my seven day average when I first started three months ago, it was around ninety five using the algorithm that they use to give you a relevant number. And uh, so, I, if I had a, a score of ninety seven, it showed it was positive on that day. But now my baseline is around eighty nine, so it's been decreasing a bit. Yeah. So now, now when I get a score of ninety, it's still positive compared to the seven day baseline. But the long term, the chronic baseline is decreasing. So, is there some inference that you can make from that, or is that something that you need to just yourself be aware of because the app doesn't yeah. really tell you what to do well, with that data? But so. So with with um, that HIV for training app, I've had a, I've had a lot of involvement with specifically the coaching app. I don't know if you've had any. So like the I think like with the with the HIV with the coaching app, a lot of that I with me and Marco had a long time. We've we've um, worked together and we established like there's an advanced setting, and that actually it, it sets your baseline for a period of time that you want it to be at. So for example, like when I for my own data when I'm working with athletes, what I will do is I will establish a two-week period 
where they're training well, kind of 100% of their training load, that, that's quite kind of a normal training load, and everything's going fine, and then I will establish the baseline from that period of there, and then that baseline will stay. Because what's really important is that you establish the baseline at a period of time when you're not stressed, when you're not at a high training load, it's quite a normal period of time where you're feeling well, you're hitting all your numbers in training, and everything's going well, and then that's the baseline you establish. And then you might change it like in a year's time. You might do another two-week period where you actually establish it again. And that's one of the benefits of the HRV for Training Coach app is that you actually have that ability. You can set those periods yourself within um, within it. And that and that's when I'm using with, with my athletes, that's what I look at on a day-to-day basis as I look at the... Um, I look at the baseline that's actually over a set period of time that I know is a period of time when I think is a real baseline for for them. Okay, yeah, I get it. I, I'm not using the coach app, so that's why it's somewhat arbitrary, the, the baseline, it's, or it's just from when I first started using it. And uh, I wasn't really, really cognizant of when when I would establish that baseline. Yeah. Okay, so what are some practical tips that, that you can give if people want to start using HRV? How should you go about it to really reap the benefits? I think, well, like, it's every, like HRV is very context-specific, so you have to really understand the response to the, t- the type of training you're doing. Like, a decrease is bad, but also a, a sudden increase can be bad as well. So like lots of these apps are just they try and make they try and make you know they'll try and make a decision or make a suggestion to your training based on one number on that day and the good thing about the HRV for training app is you get that daily score that kind of encompasses your um, your HRV and your subjective data which I which I really like so yeah so if you you have to really know if you're an endurance athlete which I think you know for triathletes especially who listen to this show if you're doing a heavy training block and you've got your training distribution right you should expect to see increases um but um so it it should go up but if you've got that wrong or you're doing too much high intensity training um you've not got that balance of low intensity versus high intensity you'll probably just creating too much stress for yourself and you will gradually see it go down and also the really good thing about hrv it's not just training it can be diet can show on it and um and also work stress life stress all these things can show can have a marked response on your on your HRV, and these are all things that you have to have to be aware of. Yeah, and I think that that's the big thing that I noticed that that life stresses has been had a big factor, probably just as big as as training in uh, in changing my HRV over time. Again, just based on my intuitively looking at at the data. So, what about when you say that you want to see the HRV increase over time? Can you give any rough guidelines for how much that would be? So, what kind of numbers are we are we talking about? Well, it's, it's completely individual. So, like, for, so for me, like my baseline HRV is around ten, which is like, for, which for some people that would be ridiculously high. So, it's it's really, really quite individual. But what's what's important is that how much it changes compared to your normal values. So um, you can't really put a number on it, but usually, so the HRV app is done on a, on a, on a one standard deviation. The HRV for coach app is done on half of a standard deviation, which is what I which is what I use in my PhD. So I'm kind of more. I typically use 0.5 of a coefficient variation for over a two week period. Yeah. So and that's where it's important is establishing your own baseline and knowing what uh, substantial change for you is is key. Can you say that again with the coefficient of deviation and uh, how how it's it's different from HRV for training and HRV for coach? So the um, in the HRV for training coach app, 
Marco and I, we, we spent we spent some time trying to establish those those kind of the worthwhile change bars, and within that, within the coaches app, it's um, when you can you can actually establish the smallest worthwhile change in 0.5 of a 0.5 of an SD. But it's like where you, how you establish that's quite it's quite individual as well. Like people who have a lot of day to day variation, that's why that's why the small the um, Establishing the baseline is so important because if you're somebody who naturally has a lot of day-to-day variations, it will take that into account and just give you a bigger, a bigger threshold of change. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, but I'm not sure. I haven't seen it in the HRV in the normal HRV for training app. Uh, this uh, coefficient of, of change or what, what's the term again? The least significant. Uh... So in the in the actual HRV for training app. It, um, the the baseline and the change so when the the point so you'll see like it says trivial you know there's those trivial bars and it will give you kind of gives you the thresholds if you look underneath the main score it will give you kind of some bars and when it's over that it'll flag red when it's or over over or under it will flag red and when it's in between it will kind of be green or orange but those bars well, those threshold bars are based on a on a on one I think I believe it's one standard deviation but I actually I'm not too sure what that one is but I know what the coaching one is Okay, got it. So, so it's already taken into account, although you don't see that exact. You don't get to see what what that threshold for for a significant change is uh, defined as. Okay, so uh, finally, again, going back to that, uh, your work with Olympians and uh, the study that you mentioned from Finland that first showed that potential benefit on training based on HRV and adapting your training to that. What are the actual benefits? How great of a magnitude can you see by by adapting your training to your HRV? You know, I think it's um, you know, it's not like HRV is is not the silver bullet, but it's another tool in the toolbox that you can use to monitor how your training is going, and it can really help with that with the consistency side. So making sure that that when you go out, you're hitting the targets in training, and actually, you're um, you know, you're not going to be over fatigued and and really have to take a step back from your training and that's where it and that's where it's I find it's really beneficial with my athletes if we're so like um one of the athletes that I coach um, Jan van Berkel he's just training for Zurich at the moment and he's just done a really good training block um so in the build-up to in the build-up to the race and the HRV had the desired response and during this block it really increased and he went above his he went above his own threshold of worthwhile change so I knew that he was getting a good adaptive response. But conversely, if he'd have um, had a, if if it was the opposite, and we started this block, and he just started plummeting and going down, I'd have to ask. I'd just ask myself better questions, and I would say, "Why is that going down? Have we got the balance of the intensity wrong? Is the recovery not right?" And I'll make a change to the program in accordance to to try and then get the response that I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So obviously, we can't go into every single detail on HRV because there is a lot on this podcast, but how much information do you have on your website, for example, about this? And are there any other great resources that we can point out so the listeners can go and learn more about yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. So if you go to our website, plusandprof.com, we have, there's a, actually a HRV, there's a HRV tab um, and there's all of our publications in the area of heart variability are listed there. So you can go out and read as much as you like on that one. There's a I think there's more than 30 publications in the area of, of HRV. There's quite a few there. And then a really great resource is provided by Elite HRV. 
So Elite HRV is owned by a great guy called Jason Jason Moore, and he um, and he actually runs a foundations in HRV course, which is basically it's a it's an educational forum and course that you can apply to do, and um, they they come out every every once in a while. They're not permanent, but they have like a course that you can do, and that just basically teaches you everything you would ever need to know about the area of HRV. Specifically, with um, lots of lots of information in there about how to use it for for training and monitoring your training. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, that's uh, completely new to me, and I, I was just looking at your website now and and uh, immediately thinking that yes, a podcast. That's something that both me and other listeners will definitely want to have a look at, since we're already obviously podcast listeners. Uh, okay, so uh, one more question before we move into the rapid fire questions is: uh, Is there anything else in exercise science, since you follow that entire field closely? I know that has you fired up at the moment that that you're really interested in. Yeah, so what, some of the, so at AUT University, I'm um, I'm looking at something called functional resistance training, which is using these weighted garments for Ironman training, um, which is proving to be quite interesting there these it's um through exogen leela i don't know if people might have heard of that but we're actually doing a good bit of research in that area at the moment so looking you know age groupers out there who are looking to you know we've all got certain only a certain period of time in the in the week to do our training when we're when we're trying to work and this is just one way that you can potentially maximize some your time and your time when training so it, Basically, these this is a suit that you can add really minimal weights to, which could be like 100 grams on the thigh or on the calf, and you can do your run. You can even we're looking to use it in swimming as well. Um, to actually, we just we just it's basically on the fat finding mission at the moment to see if it actually is a of a benefit to training. Yeah, the low low carb low carb diet for Ironman triathlon specifically is something that I'm really um, I'm really interested. Still quite looking into, and obviously I've done a lot of research in that in the past, and that always gets me fired up, especially from from the health, not only just the performance, but the health standpoint as well in in Ironman triathlon. Yeah, and there's yeah lo- loads of things as things going on with using the heat as a training intervention, like sauna versus spa. Yeah, lots of cool things going on. So um, these are all the things that I'm kind of looking into at the moment. Excellent. Yeah, and I know that the weight wests, for example, have been used quite some time already by ultra runners. So yeah. interesting to see that they're moving into into triathlon as well. All right, so uh, I'm going to challenge you now to keep these answers really short to the rapid fire questions. There's three of them, and the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? I should have looked at these before you asked me. Um, my favorite—it's not really a triathlon book. But it was, it's a book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. It's about, and it's actually a guy called Peter Atia who got me onto it, but I've read it a few times and it's all about how we're, how, about cognitive dissonance and how we're, it's really hard to, once we believe something, it's really hard to change our beliefs. Worthwhile read. Yeah. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? It has to be my Garmin. <laughs> what Garmin? My Garmin watch, for sure. Yeah, Garmin and training peaks. That's how I... Yeah, the, and training piece especially yeah. because I use that on an every, everyday basis to monitor myself and the athletes I work with. I agree. Uh, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Professionally or triathlon? Like, <laughs> I mean, triathlon. It can be anything. You can, you can make your own interpretation of that. Well, I think, I think a mistake that a lot of people make is that they don't prioritize the training. And for me, even though I'm a busy professional, I'll still... I'll always prioritize my training because if you don't put your training 
as a priority, you'll never do it. So I think I think that's uh, that doesn't mean to say I don't take my work seriously. I take it very seriously. But for me, training first, and then I fit fit work around it, and it allows me to do a much better job at both. Right. Finally, where can people find out more about you and what you got going on? And if there's anything you want to plug, then take it away. Yeah. Um, so I think mostly you can find out about us on uh, pluesandprof.com, which is our website, which we have variety of coaching, consultancy, individualized plans, lot, lots of different things on there. And yeah, if you and also you can follow me and Prof on Twitter. I'm at the Plues one and I think Prof is at Paul B. Lawson. So yeah, you can um, follow us on there and we're always updating and doing some interesting things. So. And we'll have all the links to that in the show notes. Okay, so thank you again. This has been Dan Plews talking about HRV. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, Dan. No, no, thanks for having me. It's been great. All right, hope you enjoyed that interview with the Plews. Be sure to leave feedback on my email or Twitter. My email is michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. You can find my email in the show notes as well in your podcast app or on thattriathlonshow.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is at SciTriat, so you can hit me up there. Some housekeeping items that I've been getting questions about, or at least one of these things I've been getting questions about. I've been kind of quiet recently on uh, the email front for those of you that are subscribing to the Scientific Triathlon newsletter. And uh, I'm uh, really sorry about that. And uh, some people asked, even asked if uh, I could check that you are still on the list. I want to get back to a more regular posting schedule, but I've just been so busy with the podcast and work and my own training and coaching and everything else. But uh, it will get better. I promise that. For those of you who are not on the newsletter, uh, you can go to scientifictriathlon.com and, and sign up. And when I get back to those uh, to posting there again, you will get some good articles, I think, and uh, great insights that uh, I hope that you will enjoy and find useful. The other piece of housekeeping is uh, not so much, much housekeeping as an announcement of some exciting news going on in my world. And uh, it is now official, so I can also announce it on a podcast. And that is that I'm moving away from Helsinki and I'm moving to Lisbon, Portugal. And that will happen in October or November. There's more to follow on that, but essentially I'm quitting my engineering daytime job to go full-time with triathlon coaching and uh, also, of course, pursue my own athletic career and see how far I can take it. I think that uh, there's nothing to lose. I want to want to try this and uh, I'm really excited about that. And, and it will be nice, I have to say, to get to a climate like Portugal's when you're used to the Finnish climate and the short season that we have here. Any Portuguese listeners, uh, I would love for you to get in touch with me and uh, connect. So even before I come over, but especially once I get down there. So last week, or last episode, I should say, I read out a review and uh, of the podcast, and I'm going to read another one uh, today that I just got from uh, uh, Bunkas the Dog from the United Kingdom. He writes, brilliant, he rates it five stars, and uh, then writes, in my humble opinion, by far the most informative triathlon podcast, great interviews with worldwide authorities on the subject. To top it off, seems like a great guy as he replies to email queries promptly and with sincerity. 
thank you so much for that. And I know that we had an email correspondence as well. I think the dog's name is actually David. So thank you, David, for that. And uh, as I mentioned on the last episode, finding these reviews really fired me up and got me motivated to keep pushing with the podcast and trying to improve it. I'm doing four interviews this week as a result. I just got so in the groove and uh, loving it at the moment. So uh, looking for more great guests and topics as well. So trying to keep improving, 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 just as uh, with my own triathlon and coaching and everything. So and, and that is where you come in, because these reviews do help me improve. They just motivate me to push and get better. So uh, you can help me out and help the podcast out by leaving your own rating and review. It only takes a minute and you can do that by going to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash rate. And uh, finally, what do I have in store for you for the next couple of episodes? Well, as the proud owner of a website called Scientific Triathlon, it's my great pleasure to present to you one of the greatest names ever in exercise science, uh, one of the legends of the field, Professor Tim Noakes from South Africa. And we have two episodes coming up with him. I just today conducted the interview and decided that it's best to split it up in two parts. The first will be on the central governor model and how the brain really is the limiter of performance and not your physiology. Very similar topic to what we discussed on episode 17 with Samuele Marcora. So I recommend that you, if you haven't listened to that episode already, that you go back and listen to it. That's episode 17. You can find it on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash TTS17. And then the second episode with Tim Noakes will be on LCHF, low-carb, high-fat diets. And uh, we covered nutrition on recent episodes uh, with... uh, Jesse Kropelnicki and with Ted Munson on episodes 40 and episode 41. Uh, again, go to thatreflonshow.com to find the links to those episodes. But uh, now we go into LCHF specifically, and I know that many of you are interested in it. And uh, Tim Noakes is uh, one of the first that really proposed that theory for, or that uh, diet, I should say, for endurance athletes and, and started researching its benefits. So uh, it's great to have him explain that to us. All right, uh, that's it for today. Again, send me your questions and feedback to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And until next episode, keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.